Hello, everyone, and welcome to the All In Football podcast with me, your host, Cully Matthew. With me today, as always, it's Alex Rex, Scott Williams, and Tom Hughes. And today, Ooh. we're talking all things England. We'll be talking Southgate, key players, formations, and ultimately, whether or not football is going to come home this summer. We're also going to be analysing all the Euro groups and assessing who are the big contenders to win the tournament. All that along with our weekly roundup of the EFL and fantasy football, as always. Quick uh, quick bits of housekeeping, I should say. Follow us on social media on All In Football Pod on Instagram and All In Football P on Twitter. Uh, daily content on there, as always, talking all things football rights. Currently, England are 4-0 up against San Marino during recording, and we're not playing five at the back. Hurrah! Uh, Alex, uh, I'm going to come to you first, mate. I want all your opinions on, the, opinions on this, I should say. Can we win the Euros with Gareth Southgate in charge? Let's start the podcast positively. I think we can, Yes. I think as long as he learns from the mistakes in his team selections, which he has done tonight, for an example, to start with, um, and he has the confidence in the players, I think that confidence can rub off onto them. And I think we've got the ability to win the Euros with Southgate in charge. Let's be honest, lads. We were one squared pass away from making the World Cup final under Southgate. So, yeah, I think so with this group of players and under him. I'm going to start off by saying we can win the Euros. Scotty? What do you think, mate? Do you reckon we well, can? Well, you know me. I've always backed Southgate. I've always thought he was the right man from day one. He's been in and around the England, not just the England first team, at, you know, at lower levels in the under-21s. He knows the structure. I think he's a fantastic man-manager. Let's not forget how hard the international job is. He's not got him week in, week out. He only gets them every now and again. And he's got to get those form players, bring them together. And I think he's going to do it. I think he can. If, I think he can win us the world. Uh, the World Cup. He can win us everything. He can win us the World Cup, the Champions League. He's the man. He's going to bring football home. Tom, you agree? That's outrageously positive. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like Southgate. Don't get me wrong. He's a nice guy, but it depends whether we're going to get waistcoat cardigan, uh, waistcoat or cardigan Southgate. Waistcoat uh, Southgate plays three at the back and makes us look rubbish and Cardigan Southgate plays four at the back so if we get Cardigan Southgate we'll be absolutely fine uh, but my concern is I don't think Southgate realises that he needs to use the talent he has going forward that's what we. That's what England are brilliant at we've got lots of weaknesses across the back, maybe the central midfield's not, not great but going forward we've got brilliant players so just use them play some strengths so, yes, we can win under Southgate, but only if he plays the right players. But he doesn't know we... his first team, does he? That's the problem. But he does, it, like, You say he play the right players, but who are the right players? And he doesn't know that yet. That's the reservation I'm talking about, learning from his mistakes. At the moment, well, he, he keeps look, changing it, the team. It could, be, it could be Grealish or Mount or Foden. I'm not talking about saying it needs to be a specific player, but all of his talent, all of his really top-class talent is on the wings and up front. And so if that's where your top talent is, play to those strengths and build a team around where your strengths are. I think it's a catch-22 with him at the minute because I think he feels the need to play the three at the back or the five at the back hybrid that he does because of the weakness that we have in defence. So I don't think he actually wants to because he started his tenure with the attacking football. I remember that game against Spain that we beat him 3-2, I think it ended up, but we were 3-0 up in that game and I think it was a Euro qualifiers or it might have been a friendly. Um, away from home and we looked unbelievable we were playing out from the back even Pickford was playing out from the back and not making mistakes and it looked really good but since the um, since the World Cup and, and and probably the more so the last 18 months of international football he's decided to play this five at the back that's really frustrated England fans because there's a fear I think with a lot of England fans that we're wasting our gen- it's a generational talent we've got at the minute we've got so many attacking Really good footballers that can is, can make that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about though with the, with the with the confidence in the players. That's what I'm talking about having confidence in your players because he's going to start John Stones and Harry Maguire at the back. That's a, a player who has been part of the best defensive partnership centre half pairing in the league this year. Next to Harry Maguire, who he has his critics, but I rate Harry Maguire and he's part of one of the other best defenses in the league. Yeah, he, he's got to have confidence in those two centre-halves. Why would he not? They're the top two teams in the Premier League. 
And they're two of the most important players in those teams. You've got to have confidence in your players. That's what I'm talking about. If he believes in them, I think they'll believe. And that's why we cannot play, cannot play a back three. We've got to play Stones and Maguire as two centre-halves and believe in them. It's Look, tough as on. well because it's tough as well because you only get a handful of games. It's not like you've got a whole season to develop your team and get them playing nice attacking football. If we don't play attacking football in the Euros and get knocked out in the quarters, he's going to get slated. But it's so hard because yeah, we might have a pool of really good players, but do you know what Belgium do and France do and Netherlands do? A lot of these teams do. So I think you're right. I think we've been lucky that John Stones come back from the dead. Because actually, that's made his decision very easy, in my opinion. I think we all agree that that partnership of Maguire and Stones, that can really just settle that defence down, especially with Pickford and Gottel. He can be, you know, a bit more relaxed knowing he's got them two in front of him. So I think as long as they stay fit, I think we've got a decent opportunity. Yeah, I, th- I think when it comes to Southgate, again, he's got some credit in the bank with the semi-final of the, of the, uh, the last tournament, but... I do think there was circumstances that really favoured him in that tournament that me and you have discussed before, Scott. But I think when you beat the likes of, what, we beat Tunisia, Panama, we beat Colombia and Sweden, which are probably second-rate, below bottom second-rate teams, the first half-decent side we came up against, we failed. So, And then since then, he's he's done some odd things. He didn't handle the Foden situ- and Greenwood situation brilliantly, I thought. I think his man management there wasn't good, that great. I think he's picking some odd lineups. Um, Tom, what did you want to say, mate? Go on. Just on that point about Foden and Greenwood, I think that's uh, I think that's probably not right. I actually think he handled that perfectly. He took them both out of the squad. I don't know what else he's supposed to do in that. Um, he's set an example, which I think we've probably seen Arteta do recently with Aubameyang. I don't. I, I, I question what you would have liked to see him do with Greenwood and Foden. I'd agree with that, Tom, as well, because he brought Foden back in and he kept Greenwood out, but he kept Greenwood out because Greenwood was playing terribly at club level. So I, th- I think he did the right thing, admitting them from one squad and then just bringing them back in. I think he did the right thing, personally. I think a lot of people think that he hung about to dry a little bit because of the age of the players. I think if they were older players, I could definitely agree. Like Kyle Walker, he shouldn't be in the squad again for me, the, the amount of things he's done. I think we can all agree with that. I don't think he should be in the squad again for the, the tribulations he's he's done in the last year or two. But Foden and, and um, Greenwood are, are young lads and they shouldn't really be hung out to dry for a mistake, really. So I've, I, to- I totally disagree with that, Cully. Totally disagree with that. Yeah, I disagree I- as well. They've, 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 he's, he's only handed them one game. I think a lot of managers, a lot of countries would have, would have four or five game bans. Yeah. In the circumstances it was at, in the world we're living in, it was terrible what they did, and it angered a lot of people. I agree with Walker; should be nowhere near this team anymore. But no, I think it was fine for what he it's, did. It sets an example for kids. Well, kids, for young adults coming into the England setup in the future as well. That we're not going to take you pissing around. You know, there's rules there for a reason, and especially like Scott said, at the sensitive time, it's just just totally careless. I think if anything, they got off lightly. To be Foden's, honest, Foden's Foden's back Foden's in the setup again. Foda's a young boy, but you know what? He's a young boy who's got, he's a dad. He's got responsibilities. He should he should be looking at that and seeing that as a responsibility and getting onto the England team and just just doing a better example. I think it's super poor from both of them. Mm. Well, okay, let's uh, let's talk about success failure for England this summer. What keeps Southgate in a job, Al, uh, this summer? I think the things that definitely keep him in a job is if he makes the final. So progress. I think he will probably stay in a job if we make the semi-final playing good, attractive, fun football and we're progressive. And obviously, I think to get to the semi-finals, we'll probably have to beat one of the big boys looking at the draw. Um, obviously, that's speculation at this very moment in time. Um, if, if I'm honest, though, unless he, unless he does that, I, I think it is the end for him. I, I think the FA will not remain patient with him, even if he makes the semi-final and kind of goes out in a drab, poor performance just because I think the FA will then panic and think they've got this generation of players, really, really rate them, think Southgate's had two tournaments, he's not won anything and I think he'll he'll probably uh, probably get moved on. It seems a bit wrong really to speculate about a manager's future before he's even had a tournament to play, doesn't it really? But um, I think the only way he really keeps his job 100% is to, is to progress further than what he did in the World Cup. Do you think they will sack him, even if the um, even if they go out of the semi-finals, because the World Cup is so close? Obviously, it's in 
the winter of next year. So I don't think I, I'll disagree with you. That I, I think if they make the semi-finals and they go out on a drab performance, let's say, or a, a negative performance, I think they keep him. I think semi-finals will be on. He keeps his job. I wouldn't like to, for him to keep his job if he makes the semi-finals because I think we need to make the final here with the with the talent we've got. We need to make the final. And I know it goes on the draw and the look of the draw or whatever, but we have the players that are good enough to beat the likes of the top teams, like Belgium, France. They've got good players themselves. They've got some exceptional players, but so do we. We need to make the final as well. So if we lose 3-2 in an epic to France, saying, I don't know if we can beat France in the semis, in the semis, you would say, ah, it's not good enough. I don't think it's good enough, no. Because it's still it's still failure. You've still not made the final. I, what I'd say, Cully, is if you keep getting into semi-finals, you start to build a culture of getting into those those positions. The problem with England is, you know, we fell out for a long time of getting into those late stages of the tournament. So what has probably helped is in the World Cup getting to the semis. If they do it again in another Euros a year before a World Cup, that can only put them in good stead. So I do agree with you to an extent. There's only one winner in a tournament and everyone else is a failure, right? Uh, I, well, but. But but a semi final for England in the in the Euros, I don't think would see. I don't even think Southgate would be close to getting the chop for that. I think that's no way, absolutely not. Our mental our mentality has gone from having this group of players saying minimum semi final to actually having the so called golden generation: Gerard, Lampard, Bex, etc., Rooney, Owen, and us being like, I remember, I remember them times, and us just sitting around going, quarters or better, will be fine. And then, do you know what? Sven got his quarters all back. And as a country, we were all right with that. We were sad when we went out, sad we lost to Brazil and on penalties. But we're just like, you know, we got to the quarters all right. So actually, doesn't that show how far Southgate's brought us? The fact that we're annoyed, <clears throat> we're saying semis um, minimum, and you're annoyed if we don't win it. I don't agree with what you're saying about the golden generation and the country being all right with just making quarters or semis. I think the country on the whole would say we needed to win a tournament during that time because it was our best opportunity. I think this is one of our best opportunities as well because of the talent we've got in attacking positions. And he's frustrating me at the minute with the, the lineups he's picking. I think if he makes a semi-final, like you said, and we lose 3-2, it's still not going to the final. Yes, he'll keep his job. I've just said that because... The FA, I don't think, with the World Cup coming up on the horizon next year, will sack him because what's the point? Who's going to take over in a year and get us uh, a uh, a method or a way of playing that's going to work in eighteen months towards that ne- the the next World Cup and get and get us to a final or get us winning that World Cup? I don't think that's possible. I think that's whatever what happens. About, sorry, Colin, that's what I'm saying about the quality, though. That's what I'm saying about the the, the, the performances within the games will make the difference. So you talk about 3-2 in a semi-final against France and we lose in an epic. No, I, don't, I think he'll keep his job. I think if we get battered 3-0 by them, I think the FA will panic and sack him. So that, that's, that's the, the point I'm making about his performances. And that's where I think actually he'll be judged on that against the big teams because exactly what Cully said about the World Cup performances. We didn't really play anybody amazing. You can only put who's in front of you. So I think that's slightly an irrelevant point, but at the same time, just one just 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 to think about for the time being. If we, if we've we come up against a big team in a big game in a semi-final and we get battered, I think the FA will panic and I think they'll sack him. I think what he needs to do is convince people who are doubting him. He needs to beat a big team for me. He needs to beat in a knockout game. If we win the group, we'll be facing one of the, the toughest teams from that group of death, which we'll come on to later. If he beats one of them teams in the round of 16, then I'll start to believe, OK, then maybe he can take us into the World Cup and actually do something with this group. And I'm one of those people... England, just hit the post, by the way. Um, I'm one of those people that if if you make the quarters or semi-finals with this group of players, I don't think that's good enough. And someone else deserves the opportunity for me, for me. I agree though with what Scott says about the mentality side of things, um, but I, I don't think I think he's brought our mentality up. I think he's improved that uh, tenfold. But I think our mentality was wrong with the previous generation, and I, I don't I don't think it was right previous. I think it's improved a lot. So Southgate deserves a hell of a lot of credit still in my eyes. I think with the previous golden generation, I feel like we only look back on them after after the party, so to speak, and went shit, they were a bloody good team. And actually, what have we done to waste it? So I feel like a lot of the time you can reflect, um, but we, we have had teams and managers before that have just played the so-called best players. What I like about Southgate, which is proved, is he plays players that are on form. 
And I think that's a great, you know, a great mentality to have. Well, I mean, uh, Eric Dyer players on, I'm, I'm just going to say Eric Dyer. I'm just going to say Eric Dyer. He always says this, but then he sneaks some of these favourites in uh, through the gaps. And why is Eric Dyer there? The thing I'm is, sorry, you can't play. You can't there? play. You can't play eleven players that were the best players in the last two weeks because you need some players that know that structure, know the England, know how to play in the Southgate. You can't completely change it. But what I'm saying with you. Steve McLaren's, he would have his best mates in the team that he would call up every single time, regardless. Players that haven't played any minutes. Who was it in the last Euros that we brought in and he didn't play any minutes? And was like, what's he even doing in the team, in the squad? It was ridiculous. So I agree that certain players, you do raise your eyebrows, but they do need to have that little bit of experience in there as it would just be, I don't know, just be a bit of chaotic for me. All right, speaking on the squad then, just quickly, Tom, what are the areas of strength and, and concern for this England side that you think going into the Euros and who must play? Who's who's definitely going to play in this team? Uh, I had a good think about this one. In my personal opinion, I think our areas of strength for the front line and the wings. I think we've got a lot of options in both those areas. Uh, I think Kane, if he stays fit is one of the best strikers in the world, and that's a massive asset. I think off playing off him, you've got Foden, you've got Sterling, you've got Rashford, Sancho. We've got a lot of options in those areas. Um, so going forward, we look great, and that's why we want to see England playing attacking football. Uh, even at the back, I'd say we now look fairly stable. Uh, you know, Stones, Maguire, for me, you know, personally, uh, Luke Shaw and Reese James, that sounds like a pretty good back four. But even if you take out the two wing backs and you put in Chilwell, um, or even um, if you go with some of the Sky Sports pundits, you go with Trent for some reason, based on recent form, I don't know why you would. But there's a there's a good back four there as well. My two areas of concern for England, to be totally honest, are goalkeeper, because if it is going to be Pickford, I st- he still just has those erratic moments in him. That being said, he's always been good for England. And I actually think our, our biggest area of weakness now, looking at that team, is probably central midfield, just because I don't know if I can think of a three or a two in there that has the right balance. Declan Rice, for me, has to start. You know, he's probably he's probably the best option we have in the centre. But who do you play? Who do you play alongside him? So it's really tough. I, I think the the area of weakness for me is the centre centre of midfield, which is what concerns me against the bigger teams. Right, we'll come back to England later on in the show, but definitely some interesting points you make there, mate. Um, but during the international break, of course, we're still going to have some lower league football and the championship was on this weekend. And of course, the man to round that up is Scott Williams. Go for it, Scott. Cheers, Cully. Yeah, so no championship this coming weekend, but we certainly had some games at the weekend to touch on. So struggles for the top teams in the championship. Second place, Watford were the only team in the top seven to pick up a win beating Lee Burry's Birmingham side 3-0. They've now closed the gap on leaders Norwich to eight points after the Canaries could only draw at home to Blackburn. Swansea lost the Welsh derby to Cardiff to leave them further adrift to the top two. That win for Cardiff keeps them in the hunt for a playoff place. Brentford at Reading could only pick up a point and Barnsley suffered their first league defeat in 10 uh, 10 games, losing to Sheffield Wednesday. Massive three points for Sheffield Wednesday, who closed the gap on the teams above them in a fight for survival. Elsewhere at the bottom of the championships, bottom of the table, Wickham could only manage a draw to leave them 11 points adrift to safety. A massive win for third place, uh, third from bottom, Rotherham, who closed the gap on Birmingham, Coventry and Derby, who all failed to win. Rotherham are only now three points of safety, but they do have four games in hand. And finally, Preston this week have sat Alex Neal after just one win in nine games. Interim coach Frankie McAvoy is to take over for the rest of the season. Like I mentioned, no championships games this week, so we'll be doubling up on a one for Iraqa in League One. Just to touch on that, for any of you that did put it on this weekend, you are welcome. So, and finally, thing to touch on for me, a little bit of positive news. Um, this week, all 72 Football League clubs got their weekly test for COVID and there were no positive results for the first time. A little bit of light at the end of this tunnel. And that is your championship roundup for last weekend. Brilliant. Cheers, Scotty. Yeah, League One and League Two later on with that one for the Acker coming up a little bit later on. Uh, right, the summer, uh, not only England have qualified, of course, for the Euros, Scotland will be there and so too Wales. But what about the rest of the teams? Here's our breakdown of the teams in the group stages, starting with Alex and Group A. 
Fantastic. Well, I'll start with talking about the favourites for Group A, which are Italy. They're 10th in the world rankings. Their manager is Premier League winner Roberto Mancini. Their top scorer was Andrea Bellotti with five goals in the uh, in the qualifying rounds. Plays for Torino, if you didn't know that already. Um, they scored 37 goals in qualification. They only conceded four, winning 10 out of 10 matches. They're undefeated in 22 games in a row in all, in, their, in competitions. Um they bounced back after failing to qualify for the last World Cup in 2018, but the four times World Cup winners haven't won the Euros since 1968. Players you know in the squad from the Premier League only really are Jorginho and Ogbonna, and I'm not sure if either of them even made the squad this time round. Pretty much all of the players seem to play in Serie A. They've got other key players you'll know, like PSG's Verratti. In that group as well, we've got Wales. The manager is Ryan Giggs. He's got his other controversies at the moment. We won't touch on those. Uh, but he made 963 appearances at Manchester United. And he won three, 13 Premier League. Got to slip that one in there fully. Their key players are Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey and Kiefer Moore, who all scored two goals each in qualification. But that is their issue. They've only scored 10 goals in eight qualifiers. Um, they've got a large number of players that play in the Premier League, you'll all know. Um, Dan James, uh, Ampadu, Tyler Roberts, uh, Nico Williams, the, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but amazingly, semi-finalists last time under Chris Coleman, and they wanted to do as well as they can do at 18th rank in the world. Next up are Switzerland in the group. They're ranked 16th in the world, so very close to Wales. Their players you'll know were Granit Xhaka, Shakiri, Fabian Schaar and Berardi. Um, but they made the knockout rounds of the last three tournaments, but they've never actually won a knockout match under this current manager. Their top scorer was Cedric Itan, who uh, plays for Rangers. Um, he's, he doesn't really start regularly for them, funnily enough, but he's just won the SPL. Um, but he's uh, not their regular striker. But he scored three goals in four games in the qualifiers, so did really well. Finally, we've got the underdogs, who are Turkey. Uh, Chet Tosin is their top scorer, currently playing for Besiktas, uh, obviously formerly of Crystal Palace and Everton. Other players you know are their centre-back pairing of Soyuncu and Quebec. Uh, Yakusalu plays in front of them. I think he plays for West Brom at the moment. Um, and also uh, Under, who plays for Leicester, is in the squad. In the semi-finals in 2008, they were third place in the World Cup in 2002, but they are the underdogs in the group. are ranked 32 in the world. Prediction for the group, Italy to win, be tight between Wales and Switzerland going to back Wales, uh, and I think Turkey will come last. And over to Group B. Cheers, Al. So Group B, uh, I'm going to start with Denmark. Um, one for Drew for in the qualification. The main man, the one that we've probably all heard of, especially uh, in the Premier League, Christian Eriksen, top scorer with five. Um, anyone old enough, anyone listening, um, they, of course, won it all in 1992 um, after not even qualifying, but coming in because I believe it was Czechoslovakia was booted out. Um, the fairly big pedigree in recent tournaments. Um, in the last World Cup, they did lose only on penalties to uh, eventual finalist Croatia. Uh, they got a big boy up front, Paulson. If he gets uh, he gets linking up with Eriksson, he certainly could uh, be getting a few goals amongst them. And Christiansen, who is uh, he's having a pretty decent season actually for Chelsea at the back. Um, and they also are coming off a nice win against England um, in the, I believe it was the Nations League. So coming in with a bit of form as well. So certainly one to look out for. Uh, next up, Finland. First major tournament ever for Finland. So congratulations to them. Uh, and the main boy in uh, qualifying was Timo Puki, as you all know, who plays in Norwich City. Had a great start to the Premier League last season, but did falter a bit. But he's absolutely bagging the goals in again this season. For me, if it's if it's no Pookie bag in, there's no party for him. Unfortunately, they need him to perform. They're going to surely take inspiration from what Iceland did four years ago. Um, as England fans, we all know how that went. And then you've got the big boys in the group. You've got Belgium, world number one. Um, going to be one of the favourites for it as well. Played 10-1-10 in qualifying. Main players... We haven't got all day, but Lukaku, Kevin De Bruyne, Hazard, and that's not even Eden. It's probably his brother. He's going to be. He's been starring recently for him. Um, this is definitely their golden generation. Manager Roberto Martinez in charge, obviously formerly of the Premier League. He's going to have a lot of pressure. He needs to deliver very much as what we're saying. He needs to start winning trophies with this fantastic group of players. And finally, Russia, um, obviously. Held the World Cup last um, last time around. Very much did well. Obviously beat Spain on penalties. 
made it all the way to the quarterfinals where they lost on penalties to Croatia, unfortunately for them. Maybe unfortunately for England, we might have got a bit further. Um, but yeah, certainly the dark horses in that group. For me, Belgium to win, Denmark to finish second, Russia third and Finland fourth. And then we'll go all the way to Group C, please. Yeah, so uh, Group C, uh, I think you'd probably agree, probably before last night, that there was one clear favourite in that group, uh, which looks to be Netherlands. That group is made up of Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria and North Macedonia. Um, Netherlands, yeah, looked really good in qualifying, uh, but I watched them against Turkey yesterday and they were absolutely appalling. And I guess my concern for Netherlands is... VVD looks like he might be fit for that tournament, but he's not going to have played a lot of football. So, uh, you know, will he be able to have the influence that they would want? Gigi looked about as low on confidence um, in that international setup as I've ever seen watching that game. And they just looked a bit all over the place. You know, Blind, I'm not sure he's uh, still got the, the legs in him to to go through a proper tournament and, um, and do what they need to do uh, at the back for the Netherlands. So, you know, Netherlands, Netherlands should qualify, but honestly, Austria look decent. Austria are unbeaten in six games, not against top quality opponents, but they're on a decent little run. And Ukraine picked up a point against France in World Cup qualifying yesterday. They've still got players like Yarmolenko flying around uh, that can do bits as well. So I guess for me in that group, it's it's a bit of a toss-up between Netherlands, Ukraine and Austria. North Macedonia, unfortunately, for Alioski, will not have... Uh, will not have the quality to go through that group, but what any one of those three could go through. Um, so yeah, a lot of it relies on your boys, Cully at Liverpool, and whether Gigi and VVD can uh, deliver for them. Uh, and with sure. that, I'll pass over to Group D. I'll uh, I'll take the uh, the rest of England's group. Um, starting off with our local rival Scotland manager Steve Clark. They're ranked forty eighth in the world. Um, they've got loads of players. You know, most of them playing in the Premier League. Um, they're still recruiting. Look at Che Adams. I'm sure he was born in Leicester, but still, anyway. Um, they play them in all sorts of random positions. Uh, Scott McTominay was playing right centre back in the in the European qualifiers. He's playing holding midfield today, though. Uh, Grant Hanley, Liam Cooper. Um, centre arse with Tierney playing left centre back. They've got Robertson in midfield. They try to fit them all in again. Fleck, Ryan Jack, John McGinn, McGregor, Fraser, Armstrong. They've got loads of players. Um, actually, they've, they've they've got a half decent squad full of half decent players. Uh, they obviously qualified in that famous penalty shootout against Serbia, and it's the first major tournament since France '98. Um, I've got a soft spot obviously for the Scots, so I really hope they uh, they do well in the group and come second to us. You know, I can't really see it. Um, next up in our group, we've got Croatia, uh, ranked 11th in the world. We know them all too well. Thankfully, Mandzukic has now retired from international football. Uh, we'll forget about him now. They did just lose to Slovenia 1-0 yesterday. There are op- opening opponents. We know quite a few of their players, obviously, from previous. People like Perisic, who scored against us, Vida, Brod, Brozovic, Rakitic. Um, and Kovacic, obviously, from Chelsea, um, is somebody else to note. And then finally, we've got the underdogs in the group, along with the Scots, is Czech Republic. The um, they, they haven't won it since 1976 under formerly being Czechoslovakia. They came runners-up in 1996. Um, we beat them 5-0 in, in the qualification rounds and then lost to them 2-1 on the return leg. Um, they've got players like Suchek, who scored a hat-trick yesterday, I think, uh, Sufal and Vidra. Um, but I think that we will end up winning the group. Croatia will come through second, and then a little bit of favouritism put Scotland third and Czech Republic fourth. And over to you, Scotty. Tell us about Group E. Cheers, Al. Al for one, I for one. We'll be hoping Scotland finish bottom. Sorry, any Scots listening. Um, so, yeah, the big team in Group E, certainly Spain. Um, they've got some exciting players, but I don't think they put the fear in God into teams like they certainly did used to a few years ago. Um, you've got exciting players such as Torres, the boy, the boy at City, um, Fatty um, as well. Um, but the fact they've still got Morata up front, I mean, he's, he's very treacle. So we'll see how that goes. Um, of course, they've got Luis Enrique as their manager. He did step down in 2019 for personal reasons. Um, he has previously been in charge of Barcelona, um, taking them to Champions League glory. It's just what Spain turned up, to be honest with you. Um, they've been pretty poor in previous competitions. 2014, knocked out in the group stage. 2016, rather 16. 2008, World Cup, lost on pens to Russia. Is it going to be that Spain that turned up? Or is it going to be the t- Spain that hammered six, uh, Germany 6-0 in the Nations League a few months ago? 
we'll have to see. Obviously, you can never rule them out. Um, so, yeah, absolute big favourites for the group. And in Sweden, uh, a lot of eyes will be in Sweden for one reason and one reason only. Uh, Zlatan is, of course, returning to international football. It'll be great to see him back. Um, of course, they had, had a decent World Cup, um, losing to ourselves um, in, the, in the knockout stages. It's one of those to Sweden. I think if they again, if they can have a Zlatan-inspired Sweden, they you know they can go far. I certainly expect them to be contending in the group. Over to Poland, um, of course, the main man is the best player in the world, arguably Robin Lewandowski. Um, obviously, the top goal scorer in qualifying. But they had a terrible World Cup. They came bottom of a group that contained Colombia, Japan and Senegal. You'd fully expect them to have a better Euros uh, compared to that. Um, manager is actually Paolo Sosa, um, former QPR Leicester and Swansea manager. So well known to certain Premier League fans. And finally, the outsiders in the group, Slovakia. Um, if you're Irish of any kind, you certainly do not like this team. Not both Republic of Ireland out and Northern Ireland out in qualifying uh, for the Euros. Um, yeah, they've got Hamsik, who's okay, but I can't imagine them doing too much. So for me, Spain to win the group, Poland to scrape second, Sweden, Slovakia. And then on to the next one. Well, I'll keep mine short and sweet on this one, uh, but you've got three potential winners in my group. So I guess I'll throw it out there for opinions on who's it going to be. Uh, you've got France, Portugal, Germany, and sorry, Hungary, but it's going to be a short tournament. tournament so uh have we got a winner in that group of death? And uh, who, I guess the second question to that would be, who would you want England to come up against if they have to come up against one of those teams? Hungary. If Hungary get out of that group, I don't know if you want to play them. If they can roll back the years to when they were immense back in the 1930s, and then yeah, maybe. I think you just look at the squads of these teams. They're just frightening, aren't they? I looked at France's bench last night and I thought, oh my God. They can put two teams out. Portugal as well look even better after obviously winning the Nations League. They've actually improved since they won the Nations League. I mean, they look unbelievable. And Germany are finally finding their feet now with the new generation of players coming through. Again, I think they look fantastic. If I'm if I'm really really honest, like I think I think we struggle to beat any of those guys, and that's obviously we're going to talk about maybe the draw potentially and navigating our way through in a bit, but. It, 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 almost you want to come second. I know it sounds a ridiculous statement, but you come up against one of those three teams, you're going to have to probably beat them to win the win the championship anyway. So let's just look at it that way. I think for me, it's for that group, Tom, two things, form, injuries. Who's, in, who's, who's actually coming into the championship with form and actually who's not run bad with injuries? Because like you say, you, could, uh, you can't really separate them. I think it's going to be an incredible group, that one. I'm just, I'm worried for Harry, Harry Maguire. Because if he has to play against Mbappe, uh, people already call him a fridge. I don't think he he's can handle He's played that. against him before and done okay for Man United yeah. against PSG, to be fair. But, but he did have Twan Zabie up behind him. We, we've, we've played them twice in groups games like that as, as a Man United fan. Mm-hmm. Twan Zabie's been put on Mbappe every time. Yeah. Deliberately. <laughs> Stones, Stones is not Tariqal, cool, so I back him. Yeah, fair. the right-hand side centre-back against him on the left is the, is the way. But yeah, I, I think we're probably looking at the winner... Coming from that group, I mean, that's not the hardest prediction in the world. I'm not going to pat myself on the back for that one. But, uh, yeah, we're looking at an incredibly strong group. I think Portugal are the worst ones for me. I think for an all-round squad, I think they are really, really frightening. Um, I think we can beat Germany. I don't think they're all that anymore. But the rivalry between England and Germany, uh, you never know what can happen. We can beat them 5-1 and they can beat us 4-1. We don't know what's going to happen in that sort of game. France... Again, I th- I'm pretty scared of them and their ability in, in attacking areas, but I think we can get at them defensively. But Portugal are the ones, I think, for an all-round squad, I think they're, they're Pe- exciting. Is Pepe still playing international? <laughs> Mate, if he plays like he did again, that's, that Champions League game, he's about, it, wow. Yeah, then no one's scoring against him. I think Fonte's their main centre-back, isn't he? I think for Portugal, <laughs> like you say, they've got a good 11 for me, but I don't know if the squad's there. Personally, if they get a few key yeah, injuries, you look at Portugal and they've had. You said that when they when they won the the last tournament because they didn't have a they brilliant just, squad, but they just, just very good. They're just very forget, clinical in tournaments, solid at the back, and they get one goal and win. They won that tournament one nil. Yeah, Ruben Diaz at the back. Let's not forget. Yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot him. Good point. 
<laughs> yeah, Jose Fonte is better than him, though. Alex, remember that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> right, we're going to move on. Um, time for League One and League Two now, and here's Scott again with the EFL roundup for this week. Cheers, Scotty. At the top of League One this weekend, we had to get our paper and cranes out because everyone was drawing. The top six are Drew, so we are where we were with Hull and Peterborough leading the way. I need to mention Peterborough's game, though. A six-goal thriller with bottom of the table, Rochdale. Rochdale thought they'd collected all three points with a 90th-minute goal. However, Posh broke their hearts with a 94th-minute equaliser from the penalty spot. Danny Cowley won his first game as Pompey boss, while Nigel Atkins' first game at Charlton ended in a draw. Four games in midweek in League One. Notable results were Blackpool beating Peterborough to move into the playoffs and Swindon beating Bristol Rovers in a relegation six-pointer. The race for the playoffs in League One is ridiculously insane, to say the least. Only three points separate Blackpool in a last playoff place and Accrington Stanley all the way down in 12th. Looking ahead, game of the weekend. With a league table so tight, it's hard to find a game that doesn't have anything riding on it. So for me this week, I'd want to look out for is Peterborough versus Accrington Stanley. Stanley chasing the playoffs and Posh chasing automatic. Uh, one for the Acker or two for the Acker for League One this week. MK Dons versus Donny over 1.5. Uh, eight out of MK Dons' last nine were all been over 1.5. Well, four out of Donny's last five away games have all been over 1.5. And also Hull versus Gillingham over 1.5. Hull's last six have all been over 1.5. Well, five of Gillingham's last six have all been over 1.5. I've never said 1.5 so much in my life. Um, and then going on to League Two. At the top of League Two, Cheltenham got back on their horse after last week's stumble and beat Salford 2-0. That leaves Salford six points off the playoffs now, and apparently that's enough for the Class of, uh, 92 boys who decided to sack Richie Willens and appoint Gary Bowyer. Another savage decision from Salford, who are getting quite a reputation for acting managers now, especially with someone such as Gary Neville at the helm, who is such an advocate for giving managers time. Second place Cambridge beat third place Forest Green Rovers in a top of the table clash. Bolton made it 10 wins and two draws in the last 12 games to close the gap on the top three. However, they did have to come from behind and score an 80th minute winner, certainly making us sweat in that one for the Akabet. Uh, very close again at the top of League Two, with any of the set, uh, top seven having realistic expectations of getting one of those free automatic promotion spots. At the wrong end of the table, it was last-minute heartbreak for Southend, who conceded a 93rd-minute goal to 10 men Scumfort to drop two points. Bottom of the league, Grimsby could only manage a point as well. In midweek, Forest Green and Tramia could only manage draws in their pursuit of automatic promotion. And at the bottom, Grimsby finally managed three points, beating third from bottom Barrow, to keep them in with a shot of survival. Going to be a hard task for the bottom two of Southend and Grimsby, however, but with Warsaw only winning one in 17 and Colchester only winning one in 22 games, there is still hope. Game of the weekend, Grimsby versus Warsaw. Grimsby know nothing less than three points is good enough, while a defeat for Warsaw could well and truly suck them into the relegation mix. One for the Acker, Morecambe versus Cheltenham, both teams to score. Morecambe scored in the last five games, where Cheltenham have scored in seven out of their last eight games. And a slight little talking point I just want to discuss. It was actually in my game, so as you may, may or may not, I'm a big Scumford United fan. Um, in my game at the weekend, we conceded the penalty to Southend and we got a man sent off. Now, we um, he was sent off for final contact. We um, obviously appealed against it and we... It got it rescinded, so his suspension went. And we also, the FA have actually also suspended Timothy Diang for basically cheating and conning the ref. If you see it, our player pushes him slightly on the chest. The player then goes down, clutching his head like he'd been shot. The physio's then on for four or five minutes. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. He's clearly cheating the ref. And the FA, have, it's in the rule book. He's called the ref, he's cheating him. He's, had, he's got a two-game uh, game suspension. And I don't know if this happens more. I don't know if I only noticed it because it's my team. But I just wanted to have a quick little chat. Should we be seeing more of this? Should we be seeing a bit more of this in the Premier League? Alex, what are you thinking? Absolutely. It's ridiculous. It, it, it's absolutely ridiculous how weak the referees are and how we... I think have we, have we forgotten that we're supposed to book people for diving these days? 
It's all it, it's ridiculous. People are seeing uh, the problem is on the continent. It's seen as good play to con the referee and it's gamesmanship to to get something done. It, it it's I think honestly I think it's morally wrong. I would go as far as saying I think it's morally wrong to cheat in a game in a situation like that. Need to be booked for diving. Refs need to book them for descent. They need to they need to really really step this up, and I think we should step up this retrospective action because it's it's ruining the game in my eyes as a spectacle to watch. I agree with you massively on that, Alex, because you know it's the big big C word comes back consistency and decision making. You know, Scott's just talked about that exact latest example, but you go back to again mentioning Leeds against Villa and Bamford got retrospective action for that collapse which let's be honest was embarrassing I think Patrick Bamford in hindsight knows it was a bit embarrassing um, and he rightly so got punished for it but, but what's that what's any different to that than a, somebody falling over and pretending uh, that they've won a penalty and getting a, a decision that will ultimately impact the result of that game I don't I don't see the differentiation so I totally agree I just think that it's just it's, it's consistency in those decisions and if it's cheating call them out on it if you start calling people out on it, they'll stop doing it. But until you do, it's just going to get worse and worse. Yeah, I think retrospective bans are definitely the way forward. Um, there shouldn't really be any controversial instances in the Premier League with VAR about diving. I think <laughs> the referees on the pitch should deal with it with the, the yellow cards. But I think it's a catch-22 when it comes to your own club. I definitely think Leeds have a culture that doesn't invoke diving. I, think I really do see that in Bielsa. I think you don't like any of that that sort of stuff in the game. He likes to play pure football and it's definitely respectable. I like to think my club does it, but there is a certain guy called Mo Salah that does dive every week. And I do admit that, but you don't get the, the appreciation for people like Sadio Mane, who's in four instances in the last seven games has stayed on his feet when he could have just won blatant penalties. So I think <laughs> he could have gone down and that as a Liverpool fan, I'm frustrated because he hasn't gone down. So that's where I'm talking about. It's a catch 22 because I want him to go down to get the penalty, but, if he goes down, it might be seen as a dive, but it's but this, more pointless for me. It's That's a good point, week, really, but, 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 yeah. But it's it's this win at all cost mentality. It's win at all cost. The only thing that matters is winning. But integrity just goes out the window. Winning isn't the only thing matter, that matters. It's how you win sometimes, and I think that a lot of that's got lost, especially with Premier League money because the prize is so big. If referees start giving fouls for when people get get kicked because they get kicked, yeah, that's right. And without a player having to go down and roll around and, you know, the Lacazette triple scream springs to mind. You know, let's be honest, if you get if you get fouled, you get fouled. But referees seem to only give things if you go down and, and I, I hate it. I hate listening to, to commentators. Oh, if it had gone down there, it'd have got a penalty. What what is that? It's a foul or it's not. So have some strength referees give things yeah, without I, having to people to fall on the floor I also want to say um, I think there's a double standard in, in this country with English players and foreign players I think our players dive as well Grealish Rashford Kane they all do it but we never seem to mention it in the match of the days or any review review points we don't seem to mention it they don't get they don't they don't get the the <laughs> for lack of a better word the slagging off Foreign players do. I don't think. If I'm, Salah I'm did sorry. Do... As, as a Manchester United fan, Ashley Young got slated for years because he was a diver and he should have been. Grealish. Right. Grealish yeah. gets slated. Yeah. All the, all the Grealish gets Grealish. slated all the time, mate. Uh, the, only, the only fans, that, that everyone appreciates how good Grealish is, but they hate him because of the diving. Absolutely hate him. At an international level, you probably like it because he's your player, but everybody hates him for it in club level. All right, let's take two examples from Manchester United. Then. Rashford and Martial, both, they're both pretty bad as each other with diving. Only one really gets a rep for diving because Rashford's a saint. Alex, no? Uh, Marshall's worse than Rashford for diving, uh, as as a fact. Uh, I mean, I watch every minute of every Man United game as a Man United fan. Don't get me wrong, Rashford does go down a bit too easily, it has to be said. But Martial is, is definitely a worse diver. 100%. He falls over when he gets blown on, mate. Yeah, well, fair enough. Well, I, I, I just maybe, like I, just, maybe I just proved your point. Maybe I just proved your point. <laughs> no, well, I, I just don't like the terms they use in the in the media about English players when they dive. Like Kane was cute and clever at the weekend, but if Salah does it, he was a disgrace to the game and stuff like that. So yeah, it just it just riles me up. There's a bit of a double standard, but anyway, we can go on about diving for for about twenty years. So we'll move on to back to England, shall we? Another very good subject, uh, and assuming we qualify from a reasonably favourable group that we've talked about. 
Scott, how do we go about navigating through the tournament? We've tried many things in the past, like rotation, horses for courses, uh, starting with our best 11 all the time. How should we go about it, bearing in mind, if we win the group, we face an opponent from the group of death? For me personally, I think first things first, don't worry about anyone else but ourselves. Um, in the past, we've we've worried about that. We've, we finished second in the World Cup. Um because you know we did get an easier run, but we didn't make the final. We should, you know, we would never have a better opportunity. We had a bit easier draw last year, Euros, didn't we? But got beat by a supermarket. So um, I don't think we need to worry too much about that. Um, for me, you more or less get your best team, get them playing. The friendlies are very important before and the warm up games. Get your best team playing, and consistency throughout. I don't care about resting anyone. Look, if we can. We'll have one or two easier games, but the way we're going to set up against the bigger teams is probably going to be slightly more defensive, obviously. Um, so the fact that we potentially will play one if we win the group, I don't think that's a bad thing. Get us used to playing like that. For me, if we win against Portugal, France or Germany, genuinely, we will win the Euros. We win that game, we win the Euros. Um, I'm that confident. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think we look, a, look too much into it. It's the old stereotype. We just take one game at a time and we see where we get to. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's not worked for us in the past worrying about it, so let's not worry about it now. Yeah, fair point. Um, Alex, big talking point is the formation. Um, <laughs> given the seemingly endless amount of attacking talent that we have, what's for you the best formation to get the best out of the team? And Do you think Southgate will stick to that 3-4-3, 5-2-3 hybrid that he likes? The only, the only time I've ever I've ever put a message in our WhatsApp group of saying I think Southgate should be out between all of us lads was the Denmark game when he started Gomez, Cody, Dyer, Trent, Rice, Phillips and Trippier all in the same team against a team that we were going to dominate. So that was the only time I've looked at it and thought formation, players. I, the, the only time, sorry, that's definitely wrong. One of the main times I looked at it and thought the players are wrong. We, we keep trying to put round pegs in square holes. We keep trying to... We come up with a formation and then we play players out of their positions of where they're doing really well in their clubs. So surely we should be looking at where they're playing well in their clubs. Obviously, some of them have to show a little bit of flexibility. They've got the ability to do so. Foden can play in the midfield three or the front three. Mount can play in the midfield three or the front three, etc. So we've got to show that flexibility. Um, but formation-wise, for me, it's got to be a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. Um, and it's got to be one of those two formations. And then he's got to pick some players and, and stick with them uh, and play to our strengths. If we play five at the back then, which he, he will, who do you think is going to be the five that are going to start? I don't even want to talk about it, Cully. Like five, five at the back of this makes me feel a bit ill. The only player that plays in that position week in, week out is Connor Cody in the sweeper. And then Chelsea play that formation sometimes and you've got to start, what, Reese James and Chilwell and then Matt. Hey, let's not play five. Let's just not even talk about that because it depresses me. F you should five at the back wouldn't ultimately be the worst thing in the world. I think a lot of people have a problem with five at the back and then two CDMs. That gets a bit overbearing. But you can play five at the back and still play forward-thinking football. You can, but at the same time, I don't think it plays to our strengths of our players that we've got when they're playing for their clubs. That's my problem with it. Right. Don't get me wrong. Chelsea won the league with it under... Um, it was... Uh, in, when they played Moses, Alonso, uh, Conte. Conte. And, and they, they got the team there working and played a great attacking football with it. I agree, but I don't think that plays to our strengths. Victor Moses had a Cinderella season, that one, didn't he? He was unbelievable, wasn't he? Unbelievable that season. Shame he couldn't um, do that at Liverpool when he was on loan there. <laughs> he was pretty awful. I think in but that no, formation, then we need to just vary the, the three in midfield then. So that the two holding and then one attacking in a game where we're uh, playing against a big team and then potentially just go to one holding and two attacking in a game that we're going to be playing uh, with, with most of the possession. Show the flexibility in that position. I think the two CDMs with the, the five at the back is such overkill because there's, there's reasons why you play three centre-backs. It's because you use centre-backs a week, so you need the three centre-backs to cover them. The, the the reason why you play two CDMs is to cover your centre-backs, which is why United play Fred and McTominay a lot of the time in big games, is to cover their weak centre-backs. So I think it's very much overkill in, in that term. Um, it's not, it's would... not just that as well. You play two CDMs if you're playing two centre-backs so that one of those CDMs can drop in to make a three if they need to. But if you've already got three back there, you don't need that. So you just play one. 
Who'd be a starting two then in the middle, Tom? Rice. I'd probably play Holding. Um, I'd love to say Phillips, but based on what I've seen tonight and what I've seen in England, I don't think he's quite ready. So, you know, taking my my Leeds glasses off, uh, Declan Rice. Um, well, I speak for you that, Tom. That's really I know, good. I know, I know, I know. I'm going to get a lot of stick from that from uh, the Leeds boys. But I just... The boys I just have think... been relying on you, Tom. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But if, if I really think England, how are we going to win a tournament? Declan Rice uh, and probably... <laughs> I, I, this is my problem when I talk about the central midfield. Who do you play with Declan Rice there? That's the only my only concern. I definitely think Mount, Mount but who do you play alongside Rice? Just in front of him, not as a holding, but almost as a, a CDM, a box-to-box, and an attacking midfielder. That's how I'd be setting that up if you're playing with three centre-backs. Yeah, there's no one really to... Henderson would have been the first name on my team sheet pretty much last season. I, I just, yeah. Like, just Doesn't playing re- in... He doesn't really play that role, Al, for me. He doesn't really play that role for Liverpool anymore. He plays like a a between six and eight, a little bit more like Declan Rice does. He's yeah, I don't think that's the role he's gonna he'll be suited to for England for me. Um, but we'll see. Eh? Um, I'll just say, right. I'll just say really quickly, Declan Rice is one of the top five players in the league this year. Every time I watch him, he's incredible. I'm so happy he chose us over Ireland. He's so fantastic. He, he links up. He's, he's, he's linked up with Fornals quite a few times very nicely as well. Um, I think it's getting a bit late for Scott. Um, I think he's going a bit doolally. Um, top five players in the Premier League are pit He's a very good player, but uh, just like Fornals, mate, he's not that good. We'll um, see the team of the year, <laughs> shall we? There's, there's five in players in the <laughs> City team that have been better than uh, Declan Rice this year. Yeah, true. Uh, right, okay. Last question then for you all on England, and it's the, the big one. Um, I'm going to start with you, Tom. Where will England finish in the Euros? Will we win it? Run us up. What are we going to do, Tom? I hate I hate questions like this. I'm just I'm just thinking. Uh, honestly, I can see us. I can see us going out before we really advance. I'll I'll be optimistic and say we're going to make the final and lose in the final. Probably an Eric Dyer own goal. I don't know how we'll get started in the final, but it sounds like what Southgate would do. So you took time to think about that prediction as well. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I think we're going to make it to the final, playing really forward-thinking football, and everyone's going to get really optimistic. And then he gets to the final and he bottles it and plays Eric Dyer and he scores an own goal. That's what my prediction is. Scott, what do you think? Uh, what do I think? I, I, if we win the group and beat one of them, France, Portugal, and um, Germany, Germany. We we win it. We win the Euros. Um, Declan Rice is probably going to score a hat trick in the final. And yeah, no, literally, I think if we beat one of them, we'll win it. If not, I reckon semis. Alex, uh, round of sixteen. But uh, I but, <laughs> but <laughs> I do now. Do, do you know what? I think we've got the ability to win it. So I'm going to go. We win it. Hey. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. We're gonna get knocked out of the round of sixteen and. Um, I th- uh, that's small my head I think my heart is saying we'll get to the semi-finals and we'll get knocked out by someone like Croatia again uh, right fantasy football time that's enough of England for this week uh, we'll come on to it next week uh, the one man for fantasy football of course Alex Rex what have you got for this this week mate yeah so game week 29 was a a, a, a very interesting game week only eight teams played the main uh, players that they got the big points were Trossard Lingard Bamford Lacazette and Veltman so a lot of players that we we thought were going to do really well there um the notable things about the top 10,000 managers, 78% of them captained Kane, who got seven points, 5.8% captained Rafinha, and the rest all captained other little other other little players within there who did really well. Um, quite a lot of them, actually, the other percentage captain Trossard did really well there. Interesting stats, actually, I think, just to look at now are the dead teams. So 34% of teams captained a player that wasn't even playing in that game week, which I thought was really funny. Uh, and a big, especially a big shout out this week to 63,000 managers that transferred in Ian Acho, who also didn't even have a game. So that just goes to show how many people aren't paying any attention to fantasy football or the fixtures. So you've got an edge, guys, just by paying attention. Um, 5.3% of managers benefit from using their free hit chip. Uh, put a post on Instagram about it. 37 points better off than not using a chip at all. Uh, I was one of those players that got 71 points this week, so I was really pleased. Um, good time to take stock and reflect. 
and have a really good look at your chip strategy and plan. Um, I'll put some stuff on social about that, probably potential wildcard teams, not uh, not this week, but next week. Uh, we're going to be probably looking at a wildcard plan of game week 31 will be the optimum. Um, but if you are looking at teams to, uh, for, if you can't help yourself from taking a break from fantasy football, if you're like me and literally can't get yourself off that app, then I'd be looking at players from Arsenal, Chelsea, Leicester, Liverpool, West Ham and Wolves to look at for the rest of the season about people to bring in if you're not on a wildcard. If you're on a wildcard and you put together wildcard drafts, look at those guys to uh, to put in there. Uh, players to recommend off the back of that, Erdegaard, Ian Acho, Lingard, Jota and Edward Mendy, Chelsea's goalkeeper. He's one of the first players who's going to be in my wildcard team in game week 31. Um, the deadline is until the 3rd of April. So I'll go over a bit more next week about specific players. Um, but, uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Okay, we're going to wrap up this week with a short quick fire, and we'll start with the Champions League draw. Tom, um, pretty interesting draw. Smell an all-English final? Certainly looks like it could be. Um, but City have got a pretty hard uh, route there, right? I mean... Chelsea, to be honest, on the two shall just look absolutely brilliant. So definitely think that we're going to sit, regardless of whether it's Real Madrid or Liverpool, I think Chelsea are going to get to the final on that side, to be honest. Um, I think City up against PSG or Bayern, that's tough. That's really tough. Um, it could be it could be all English or we could be looking at, for me, PSG versus Chelsea in the final. Tom's got to get a tattoo if Chelsea don't make the final. Some of yeah. the boys having that conversation about England. <laughs> As well, Mendy on the back, apparently. <laughs> I do it, I'm, I'm just backed him, haven't I? Come on, Mendy all the way. Well, well definitely uh, an opportunity for uh, two English sides to make the final, for sure. Uh, Alex, uh, we touched on Danny Ings last week, uh, and you were quite adamant that he should stay at Saints. Call him a moron if you don't. Um, <laughs> but Man City, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on him being linked with Man City? Um, the next thing's going to be me getting a Danny Ings tattoo or a Danny Ings Man City shirt, isn't it? Which is like my worst nightmare in a City shirt. Um, yeah, uh, it, I, he, he failed at Liverpool because he's too injury prone and he'd go to Man City and he'd get paid 80 grand a week to sit on the bench and not get back in the team. So, you know, if Man City want to give him a contract, he should sign that contract. And guess what? He's a moron if he doesn't. Um, but yeah, I think overall, what a downgrade that is. City linked with Haaland and then the link with Ings. I mean, that's just an embarrassment. So um, yeah, I uh, I think it's quite funny and it won't happen. Uh, Rex, maybe maybe they're just using Ings as a smoke screen so they can get Haaland to take a lower contract. <laughs> a broken smoke screen with glass on. Or they could be going after... <laughs> Or they could be going after both because um, it's if they're going to replace Aguero, they might as well add their options up top to to add to Jesus. Um, Scott, how damaging was the feat for, in the FA Cup for Man United, losing 3-1 to Leicester? Uh, and who's winning it now? It's pretty damaging for Alex, wasn't it? I think he was pretty upset about that. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a tough one. Um, Leicester, we know, is a good team. Um, it's... It's getting to a point where Man United and Oli are getting a bit of pressure on now to win a trophy. Um, the more it goes on, the more quarters and semis he bottles, not bottles, but, you know, doesn't doesn't win. That's just going to grow and grow and grow. He really needs to just get a trophy. It doesn't matter what trophy in his back pocket. Um, and I think they've got a great chance of Europa League. I think they've got to get it. They've, they've got to go and win that else. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him. One thing I will say, guys, is uh, from a fantasy football perspective, is a lot of, I actually had a couple of uh, direct messages this week on Instagram uh, about game week 32 and the fact that a couple of the fixtures have now gone missing. Now, those fixtures in game week 32 that have gone missing are because those fixtures clash with the FA Cup semi-finals that are taking place that week. Don't worry about it. The catch-up date for those fixtures is the Wednesday after the Saturday, which would still be game week 32. So we're 95% certain because of TV rights, because of European fixtures and because of catch-up dates, that those fixtures will still be in game week 32. But more on that when I hear about it and they settle the TV schedule. Yeah, cheers for that, Al. Um, we've touched on fantasy football, mate. So, um, yeah, less of that, please. Um, <laughs> okay, let's call it a day. Uh, so you've had a bad week, Cully, can't we? Crikey. Come I on. always have a bad week. I've had a bad week for about four months now for fantasy football. So let's not talk about fantasy football anymore. 
All right, let's call it a day there, lads. As always, thanks ever so much for your time. Please remember, everyone who's listening, to bet responsibly and gamble safely from the one for the Acca tips. Check us out on our social media channels, All In Football Pod on Insta and All In Football P on Twitter. Next week, we'll be picking our combined England 11 to start the Euros and discussing who makes the squad. So make sure you tune in for that. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you soon. Ta-ra.